for me to be able to see these massive mountains, seeing these cascading waterfalls and alpine lakes and skiing all these epic lines in these very remote places. At the end of the day, like for me, like being in those natural spaces is really what makes me human. And I think that is a massive human right. Vasu Sojitra has skied down some of the most impressive lines in the U.S. and Canada. In 2021, he became one of the first adaptive athletes to ski down Denali, and he's made groundbreaking descents in the Grand Tetons and the Beartooth Mountain Range. Vasu only has one leg, so when he's in the mountains, he wears one ski and uses a special set of poles called outriggers. As the first adaptive athlete to be represented by the North Face, Vasu has used his platform to speak out about representation and intersectionality in the outdoors. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production. Vasu is best known for skiing, but he actually does a ton of different sports, from skateboarding to mountaineering to soccer. As a natural athlete, Vasu can't keep himself away from trying new things. When Vasu was nine months old, he was diagnosed with a blood infection called septicemia, and his right leg was amputated during treatment. Vasu was just a baby, and learning to walk with a prosthetic was really challenging. I was very active, and I would break my prosthetic, I would grow out of it, it would become uncomfortable, all that kind of stuff. So we'd have to keep taking it back to our prosthetist. And then I was using a prosthetic from, you know, around seven to around nine, so only a couple years. Um, And I was mobile, but like, I was kind of on the tail end of my friends. And so I was kind of just lugging this prosthetic leg around, my amputation's super high, so kind of waddling like a penguin or dragging the leg. And one day in class, my leg decided to not lock at the knee, and I face-planted in the corner of a desk and started bleeding. Then I decided from then on not to use my prosthetic leg. I was only using crutches, and it was quite the eye-opening moment for myself, but also my classmates who have never seen someone just use crutches day in and day out. So they were very confused. And yeah, I kind of had to work through that process in school and kind of freaking kids out and not feeling included because of it and getting bullied in other ways. So it was quite the whole process when I was a child. But uh, that's kind of how I stopped using a prosthetic leg and started being more active and mobile because I'm way more active on crutches. Thank you for explaining that. And I've heard you call them ninja sticks. I do. Yeah, it's kind of, I call them ninja stakes to bring a little bit of levity to medical equipment. I feel like every time someone talks about a medical equipment, it becomes a little somber. I don't know. That's just my take from my experience. I agree. Yeah, especially working in the disabled space, you know, like people talk about their wheelchairs and electric wheelchairs and prosthetics, whatever you name it. It kind of becomes kind of dark quickly. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. These, these pieces of equipment actually provide us more mobility. A lot of folks, you know, still use words like wheelchair bound. And I'm like, oh, well, yes, they're kind of like in their wheelchair, but without their wheelchair, they'd be kind of stuck at home. So it's actually more mobile and more active and provides more access and opportunities for folks that have disabilities, you know, these pieces of equipment that we've created over time. So 
Yeah, with ninja sticking, it was actually while I was climbing the Grand Teton, maybe like a decade ago now, I think when I was like 23. And my guide and friend at the time was watching me come across what is called Wall Street. And it's like a three three foot ledge with a 2000 foot drop on one side. And I was just like casually walking with my crutches and placing them very precariously on the edge. And uh, he came, he's like, yo, man, you're like ninja sticking through these mountains right now. And it kind of just stuck around. It kind of just put a smile on people's faces now that I call them ninja sticks. Um, and especially if someone watches me use them on trail or skiing, they start realizing why I call them ninja sticks because I'm like very aggressive or my movements are like all over the place, but they're all strategic and I place them very, I guess, athletically, whatever, to make sure that I, you know, can trail run or ski moguls or ski big lines or whatever it may be. If you watch videos of Vasu skiing or doing any sport, really, you'll see that the man has style. He's self-assured and his moves look smooth and easy. When he's skateboarding, he takes jumps with confidence. Skating was actually the first sport that Vasu got really into when he was about nine years old. He loved learning how to ollie and kickflip, even though he got pretty scraped up. Skateboarding led Vasu to an interest in snowboarding, but there wasn't adaptive equipment that worked for him yet. He decided to try skiing instead, and it changed his life. I went to a small little ski hill in Connecticut called Ski Sundown, and me and my brother were in a lesson, and we didn't really like listening to authority that much. So we decided to dip out of the lesson and just kind of go do our own thing. While I was, you know, falling and trying my, you know, way at skiing on a green circle, this random dude, another dude with one leg kind of skis up to me, tells me to keep going and then skis off, which is kind of ridiculous. I really think it was divine intervention or I'm just making this up now. And I was just using my forearm crutches as poles but then i saw what he was using it had you know it had uh, it was crutches with little skis on the bottom and i was like oh wait what are those things so then i like went down a massive rabbit hole of like adaptive sports and paralympics and i was like oh crap like this is actually a thing so i was like okay this is very doable i just have to convince my parents to buy me these outriggers so then I would like beg and whine them to buy me these outriggers, which were really expensive. They were about $300 or $400 at the time. And, and then they were like, are you going to use them? I doubt you're going to use them. But was able to acquire some. And then I just tried to keep going skiing as much as possible, which was only like a dozen times a winter. And then obviously it manifested into something much bigger than they even expected. <laughs> so what was it like the first time you went skiing? Did it click right away or did it take a few times? So I have this toxic trait that I think every time I pick up something new, I'm going to be an expert at it. But the first time I went was pretty frustrating. It felt like I was kind of on my own planet, being disabled and being around a lot of white people in Connecticut. It was very isolating. So I definitely created a lot of coping mechanisms and tendencies and behaviors to just try to figure it out on my own. I was also with my older brother who really helped me through that process. But it was it was fairly frustrating at at the start to try to figure out how to do this. But I'm also like a super stubborn person. 
when it comes to learning something, I go all in. I'm really persistent, whether it be relationships or trying something new or trying to get a job or getting money from a sponsor or whatever it may be. I'm like hell bent on it. But yeah, it was definitely very frustrating because no one was really teaching me. I was kind of teaching myself. I was watching people with two legs skiing and I was like, okay, like, do I use the same technique? How do I use the same technique? I only have one ski and two edges compared to four edges. So I definitely was, it was definitely a really steep learning curve. And it took about eight years to actually learn how to ski proficiently down steeper stuff, moguls, glades, black diamonds. But it took a very long time because I was teaching myself everything. What kept you coming back? I mean, it was like, those little nuggets of joy that I experience, whether it be like laughing on the chairlift with friends or listening to loud music while flying down the mountain, you know, just feeling kind of like I was pretty much flying and weightless, which was really pretty much what I was seeking. And then I started really, it really started clicking when I was in my later teens, getting into college and realizing like I could have that feeling very, very often. And through some of these techniques I learned from watching two-legged skiers, jumping off things, flying through moguls, flying through trees and not, you know, not hitting them. So, you know, finding that rhythm, finding that flow and being more connected to the ski and where I was. Vasu continued to ski when he went to college at the University of Vermont. He studied mechanical engineering, but he was also drawn to all the beautiful nature around the city of Burlington. Vasu joined an outdoors club, which helped him get off the computer and go hiking, camping, and kayaking. A few of his engineering friends joined the club too, and they helped Vasu build custom adaptive equipment. I was really excited about more backcountry experiences. A lot of my close friends were really wanting to get more out into the backcountry because we were seeing all these films of people like skiing big lines and ski touring and all that, all that stuff. So, you know, we decided to try our way at that. But obviously there wasn't equipment made for me to be able to do that. So we were like trying to figure that out. So your friends had to help you design something that would work so you could do it. Yeah. My outriggers are my crutches with little skis on the bottom that I okay, use cool. when I'm alpine skiing or downhill skiing. And then, yeah, for ski touring, I would attach this pretty much a snowshoe, little like tiny little foot by foot size snowshoe that would go on the bottom. And that would have enough grab and enough surface area to be able to stay on top of the snow and grab the snow enough. Yeah, that was kind of what we figured out in college and using our engineering brains to make that happen. That adaptive equipment turned out to be very influential for Vasu, and he ended up pursuing a career as a full-time athlete. When we come back, Vasu talks about going pro, his activism in the outdoor industry, and what he loves about being out in nature. everyone, I'm excited to share that Hello Nature, another podcast from REI Co-op Studios, is back for season two. In season one, host Misha Youssef traveled across the country to share the unknown stories of America's national parks. In season two, Misha is back on the road, 
And this time, she's exploring the nature that's right out our front doors. She's visiting cities across the country, from L.A. to Atlanta and Portland to New York City, hitting the trails, camping out at local preserves, and running alongside local changemakers to answer these questions. What makes these cities unique? Who is doing the work to redefine how we get outside? And how can we get involved? If you're looking for a podcast to inspire you to chase adventure in your own backyard, this is it. Make sure you tune in to Hello Nature Season 2 wherever you listen to podcasts. Before the break, Vasu Sojitra talked about his outdoorsy childhood and his journey to become an athlete. After graduating from the University of Vermont, Vasu was expecting to get a job as an engineer. But a film he made in college started gaining traction, and Vasu saw an opportunity to take his athletic career to the next level. So Vasu, after college, how did you become a professional athlete? Because there isn't really a linear path. Yeah, so I made a film when I was like 21 called Out on a Limb. And I look back at it and I don't really like that film anymore, but it definitely was a massive, <laughs> massive foot in the door. I'm laughing at you because sometimes we make projects and they're really important to us. And then a couple of years later, we don't like them. Mm-hmm. That's normal. But it, it, it falls under this concept of inspiration porn. It's pretty much objectifying a disabled person for the viewership of non-disabled people. So it's mm-hmm. not really for the disabled audience. And that's just not what I'm going for nowadays. I'm actually trying to, you know, bake pies that are for the communities that I'm a part of. I don't want a piece of the pie. I want the whole thing. And I want to be the baker as well as like, I want others to be the baker as well of their own stories and their own narratives. So like that story was not, it was definitely a piece of the pie and it was definitely a foot in the door. I call it my Trojan horse uh, more than anything. Because uh, I know a lot of those kinds of narratives are how disabled folks get into some of these spaces. But it wasn't just 15 minutes of fame. At the time, it was getting a lot of publicity. It was getting into Banff Mountain Film. It was getting into Mountain uh, Telluride Mountain Film. It was getting into a lot of different mountain film spaces. And while I was doing that, I was moving out to Montana and started, you know, I made a website. I made a Facebook athlete page. My Instagram was kind of getting bigger. I was getting publicized in Vermont and in other like ski magazines and stuff. So I was starting to like publicize or like create some a blueprint for myself to start getting noticed more and then working with local photographers to get high quality photos and videos as well throughout that time so they could be used in a lot of marketing. So that's kind of how I started doing that. Um, and as it started growing and growing, I started getting different sponsors, connecting with different sponsors. Um, and then I connected with Conrad here in Bozeman, Conrad Anchor. And he we love the, Conrad Anchor. Uh, oh, we all love Conrad Anchor. Yeah, he's a weirdo, but I love him. Uh, he's definitely a mentor of mine. Connected with him. He was the team captain at the time of North Face, meaning that he was kind of like leading the charge on, you know, supporting the team however they needed as well as, like, recruiting new athletes to the team. So I was like, oh, cool. Like, I didn't know he lived in Bozeman. How coincidental. Great. You know, met him at the climbing gym, climbed a few times, went outside, climbing outside a bunch, connected with him over dinner and breakfast, 
And through those conversations, you know, he asked me how my sponsors are treating me. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, what does it take to be a North Face athlete? Um, at the time, there were no adaptive athletes on the North Face team. So, you know, that was kind of a big push for me to be like, hey, like, you can sign me and I could be your first adaptive athlete, you know. And they did so. It took about two years. And from that, they're starting to build that roster a little bit more around their adaptive athletes, which is really cool. Vasu, I'm curious. You know, you're good at a lot of sports. You could have chosen just stick and ball sports. You chose to go into sports with nature. I mean, you do both. But what about outdoor sports lures you in that the others don't? I think the biggest thing for me, now that I've like actually realized it and working with a lot of my native friends, um, is this like connection to nature is a it's i think is a massive human right that a lot of communities communities that i'm a part of communities of color disabled communities even queer communities and trans communities have a really um, difficult time getting into or connecting with or have been disconnected by design through exclusive policies or ideologies or stigmas or whatever you want to name it um so you know, reconnecting to our natural landscape for me is like reconnecting to the human side of being, you know, part of this world. So that's kind of the biggest thing that I've realized being out there skiing in the mountains or trail running deep 20 miles in and just realizing like, oh, damn, like this is what being human feels like. And I want to be able to share that with other folks that might not have ever experienced something like that before. These days, Vasu spends a lot of time mentoring athletes, specifically those who identify as disabled, BIPOC, and queer. This is one way that he shares his knowledge, creates community, and gets his message out there. Vasu has also been featured in award-winning adventure documentaries, partnered with major brands, and used his social media platform to be a voice for change in the outdoor industry. I started becoming more of an activist, getting louder because I started hearing stories in the adaptive space, in the BIPOC space around all of these societal issues that we run into. And I started not individualizing my disability as much, not saying like, oh, if I can overcome it, you can too. But more so like, oh, these are the problems that our communities are facing. I've been able to work through it in this manner, but I know that the next person with a disability will not be able to, the next person of color will not be able to in the same way, but we can start working together to start breaking these barriers down. Mm. You call yourself a friendly neighborhood disruptor. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And um, tell me some examples of that. Yeah, I haven't called myself that in a while, but I definitely come off as a disruptor. I've definitely also eased my rhetoric a little bit more towards coming at it through a lens of, you know, I don't know everything, but together we know a lot, you know, not coming off as arrogant or entitled in my ideologies. So I, you know, this is really funny. I was at an event and one of my friends, he was on this panel around human powered mountaineering. And he's like, Basu, like, why are you not part of this? I thought you would be here for this panel, right? Like you would be on stage with me. And I was like, nah, whatever. Like, and then he's like, let me like see if I can get you on the stage and whatnot. So 
was like, cool, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm not going to say no to being being able to speak, you know, about a lot of these issues. And he got me on stage. And on stage, I pretty much called out the event for me being the only disabled person there for being a company that's pretty world-renowned. I'm like, this is not acceptable. So, you know, going to be talking with them on the back end to be able to make sure next year's event and some of their events coming up are highlighting adaptive athletes that are, you know, innovative and disruptive and, um, you know, building community and connecting people, you know, all these things that many of us really care about in the outdoor space. So, yeah, I tend to kind of do that pretty frequently, especially in the outdoor space because the outdoor space is like light years behind the fashion space, light years behind a lot of different spaces. And especially in the snow sports space, that's even farther behind so many other spaces when it comes to access and inclusion. So that's kind of where I start really ruffling feathers and stirring the pot. So who's doing it right? Like what is going well in the adaptive space? What sports are doing well? What brands are doing well? What are people doing well? And then what can really be improved on? So as for, like specifically adaptive or like intersectional BIPOC? Well, I think, I think that's kind of what's cool is you, you're not just fighting for rights for people who are adaptive athletes. You want everybody to be able to go outside and enjoy these sports. Yeah, I want like the trail to look like America. America is very, very diverse. We're built on our diversity. We're built on immigrants. And so I want all of these spaces to start embodying all of these cultures in a way that works for us and not like just kind of tokenizing us and checking a box for diversity. That tends to happen a lot. So, I mean, as for companies that are doing it, Many of the companies I work for are doing great. I mean, they're not perfect, but they're trying to really embody um, inclusion as much as possible. Um, you know, Subaru, REI, North Face, you know, I just signed with Smith and they're working through it. Faction is working through it. They're all smaller. So, you know, trying to help support them in that way behind the scenes. You know, that that's another thing I try to be as an athlete is not just be in front of the lens, but also try to orchestrate and provide that mentality and ideology behind the lens as well. So yeah, there are a lot of companies doing it. How has it been for you transitioning more as like a mentor as well as an athlete? I mean, I've always focused on helping people. Uh, That's how I've grown up. That's kind of an Eastern mentality. My parents have taught Mm. me that growing up constantly is like, you know, staying humble, uh, making sure you're not out there to prove yourself or, you know, be cocky or egotistical. So, you know, that's been a big thing. And as I started involving myself in the adaptive space, in the BIPOC space more and more, I started noticing that narrative happening more and more that it's not an individualized effort. It's a collective effort. We lift as we climb kind of mentality. So that's the that's kind of the biggest thing I focus on. In addition to mentoring up and coming athletes, Vasu also co-founded the Inclusive Outdoors Project. The organization leads clinics in mountaineering, skiing, ice climbing, and more. 
Their goal is to create more space for members of marginalized communities in nature. You can find out more at inclusiveoutdoorsproject.com. Vasu, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you want to see what Vasu is up to, you can find him on Instagram at Vasu underscore Sojitra. That's V-A-S-U underscore S-O-J-I-T-R-A. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, produced by Annie Fassler, Sylvia Thomas, and Sam Pierce-Nitzberg of Puddle Creative, and our senior producer is Jenny Barber. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we appreciate when you follow the show, rate it, and review it wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas.